All right. Welcome, everybody, to Theology Thursday. I'm Sam Whitaker. I'm here with Isaac Serrano. We are uh, ready to... Well, hold on a second. Something's going on with our stream. Nope. No, I think we're good. I think we're good. You just got to click anywhere, and I think you're all right. <laughs> okay. We're still waiting to make sure we're connected. Hopefully, we are. Let us know in the comments if you can see us and, and that it's working right. Um, hopefully... This will be our only potential technical difficulty tonight, but because we're going to be trying something new, it's always possible. Maybe I'll check real quick, Kevin, <laughs> on my computer. Uh, we got somebody. Oh, okay, okay. We got a hi, Dad. Hi, Sam from Miss Anaya, so we know we're good to go. Awesome. Hey, welcome everybody who's here live. Kevin, if you can jump to camera three, um, we got to talk about something, which is the potential for something to go very wrong in this particular one, because we're going to try something we haven't done before, which is showing video clips. Now, we've done the research, and according to fair use law, because we're making commentaries um, on the videos we're showing, this should be completely fine and completely allowed. But in the event that YouTube automatically pulls this video because we show a clip, what's going to happen? We pop back on? You'll go to jail. I'll go to jail. All right. Kevin, too. That's a risk I'm willing to take for the sake of Theology Thursday. So we'll, um, yeah, we, I don't think that's going to happen, but if it does... No, it should be good. We'll should start a good. new stream. Just go to our channel and you'll be able to find us there. Uh, we just, people need to know this, we just ate quite quickly a lot of food from Mr. Hong's Chinese fast food across the street. I just had a California You one. just had a California... Me and Kevin. Yeah, Kevin, throw your face up there so you can own <laughs> your part of this madness. Sushi from Mr. Hong's. That's all you had. Sushi. So the garlic fish there is ridiculously good. And That's if you're best. listening, um, we'd like you to officially sponsor this show by giving yes, us garlic absolutely. fish every, if, every Thursday. If Mr. Hong himself or any of the people involved in his empire yeah. are listening. The garlic fish there is really good. And for all of you good. who are just watching the video, if you've never gotten the garlic fish from Mr. Hong's Chinese fast food right across the street from the church, it is it's ridiculous. Good. It's, it's awesome. Okay, so we're starting a new series today. And um, this is based on um, the book of Jude that we just finished. Or it's not based on the book of Jude, but it's kind of jumping off of the book of Jude. Because in the book of Jude, the kind of primary focus that Jude has is on false teachers. So you suggested this a great idea, which is let's take a look at some of the kind of most prominent false doctrines or false teachings mm -hmm. that are around in the world today. And so that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. And tonight we're starting with one that is kind of like um, the, the, I mean, I would say the, oh, look at, we got, is that Winfield Weaver? Says Marcel loves Weird the garlic Uncle fish. Winnie? That's that good, is, man. That's awesome. Good to see you. Um, I would never have known that was you because your name is so strange, but I know, I only know one Marcel and I and I'm amazed that someone who's watching the stream has had the garlic fish. It's going to turn out that like everyone has been loving garlic fish. They just need someone to share share the news with. That's probably that's probably what it is. So, yeah. So the, the prosperity gospel is something many of you have probably heard of. Um, many of you might not have. And it's one of these things that um, is in in a sense kind of hard to define. Right. But we got to start out by trying to do that. So how would you as broadly as possible define what the prosperity gospel is? As, as you said, it's very difficult to define because it's similar to something else we've talked about on, on this show is, is Gnosticism. And with Gnosticism in early church history, there, it wasn't like there's a document that says, this is the doctrine of Gnosticism, but right. it's a set of ideas 
that kind of permeate the culture at different levels and at different magnitudes. So you could absorb a lot of it and be like level 10 prosperity gospel. And then you could just be like low key level two or level three. And it hasn't permeated that much, but probably succinctly said is the prosperity gospel is the belief that God himself wants you to be successful, wealthy, rich in this lifetime. Right. And if you do X, Y, Z, you will be rich, successful, and wealthy. And in some cases, the gospel message is actually tied up and bound into that promise. So because Christ died on the cross, you will be rich. Right. So the idea in the behind calling it the prosperity gospel is at the simplest level, God wants you to prosper. Right? Yes. And maybe you, you talked about how there's like a spectrum of how heavy that can get. Yeah, and prosper, it, 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 I mean... We I, all I, believe that. I want you to prosper, sort of, mostly. <laughs> the, the you in general, if not me in particular. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, that doesn't necessarily mean financially. Yeah. Um, although, that I if know. You, if you, <laughs> although, I mean, if, if you were to give me some, you know, I would tell you it's better to give than to receive. Yeah. Which is in scripture. For so sure. if you ever do get rich, remember that that's true okay. description. So I'm supposed to remember both <laughs> that you don't want me to get rich, even though you're but my boss. But if you do. And if I do, I should give some to you. Yes. <laughs> so when you say good. prosper, though, uh, the prosperity gospel is bound up with material. Right. Goods. Material prospering. Um, and, it's not and, and it's not just that God wants that for you, but that in some sense, that's what's expected of the healthy Christian life, that yeah. it will inexorably lead to that. Yes. And the way God made the mechanics of the universe to mm. function is that if you do X, Y, Z, you will be rich and successful and wealthy. That's, that's the core of it right there. And I think one kind of helpful thing to keep in mind as we look at a bunch of examples of this is that there is a spectrum and you could almost think of there's a, there's like a hard prosperity gospel and a soft prosperity gospel. Yeah. And the hard prosperity gospel could be everything from, Hey, God wants you to be rich. And if you have enough faith, you will be yeah. rich. And if you, you're not rich, it's cause you ain't got enough faith yep. all the way down to a softer prosperity gospel. That's more like, you know, it's just going to minimize sin and suffering and pain and more focus on how, if you're a Christian, things should go well for yeah. you and everything in between. And so tonight we're doing something a little bit different. We thought kind of the best way to present this to you would be to show you um, a series of clips of pro different prosperity preachers, some of whom are very famous, and they're from kind of all over that spectrum. And, and our ability to kind of make commentary on them and, and respond to them will help us to kind of unpack some of the reasons why this is taught, like the justifications mm -hmm. for the theology, and also to critique some of what they, what they have mm -hmm. to say. That sound yeah, good? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's see how this works. Again, we haven't done this before, so let us know in the comments. So, yeah, first up, the first speaker is named uh, Kevin Kersenab. This is Kevin Kersenab. He gave a sermon <laughs> right so before low. COVID hit, and we saved it because it's just filled with, with prosperity gospel. That's true. Um, he said, if you have enough faith, garlic fish will rain upon you as manna from heaven. Something like that. That's, yeah, I think that's like that. word for word what he said. All right, so Kevin, if you could bring my screen up here. Um, this is not a famous person. Um, he, I mean, his video has 11,000 views, but this is kind of just a, in a, a regular preacher with a TV show, but he has a, he kind of succinctly and unabashedly just articulates what the prosperity gospel is. So here we go. About God wants you rich. And I've been showing you different scriptures from the Bible 
to demonstrate to you that the Bible teaches that God wants you rich, that God wants you to be prosperous, that God wants you to be abundantly supplied, that God wants you to have more than enough. If there's oh. one subject that I teach on that really irritates religious people, it's this one. Because they have this idea that, well, no, uh, you know, material things shouldn't be too important to us. You know, especially if God has sovereignly decided that you should be poor, you need to learn to be satisfied with your poverty is kind of their attitude towards it. So he goes on. That's just his kind of introduction. Um, and man, I mean, there's so much we could say about this, but right out of the gate, he goes, God wants you to be rich. Yeah. And then he goes on to basically in a really, I, I, like I, to me, shockingly sarcastic. Yeah, it's condescending. Condescending way be like, some people are like, and the craziest thing about that video to me is that what he says, some of it is like almost verbatim stuff you hear from Paul, mm -hmm. the apostle, where he says like, God may have decreed, he goes, God may have decreed that you're supposed to be poor and suffer and you should be content with what you have. And my radar immediately goes, one of the most famous passages about money, 1 Timothy 6, Paul says, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. And if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with these. Yeah. And so that's, that's the apostle Paul. And this guy's going like, like, oh, be content with what you have, even if you're mm -hmm. poor. Um, it seems pretty, oh, wow. Kevin is just having a full-on conversation with yeah. the obsessive gardener. Have you, have you been paying attention? He has I hot peppers for us. Oh, my goodness. You guys, um, you know, we, we don't pick favorites on Theology Thursday, but if we did, <laughs> the obsessive gardener has spicy peppers, and I'm dead serious. Obsessive gardener, we will email you, um, and we'll set up a time to come eat some spicy peppers. Maybe we'll even bring a camera or two. What do you think? Yeah, we could see who can handle the heat. Mm, now it's a challenge. Yeah, mm. there's there's a lot of people on staff talk a big game. That's true. <laughs> talk a real big game. The Obsessive Gardener's post mill, so my ability to eat spicy peppers should steadily improve until the Perusia. Is that right? Probably, I, but I, I'm not buying it. Right. You're going you're to <laughs> go out early. So any thoughts or reflections on yeah, that video? Yeah, just, I mean, we're going to go through a lot of these, so I want to save some some of the stuff for later, but God in his sovereignty has obviously blessed Christians. Job is a, before losing it all is a blessed man. And that's right. what's important about that book is Job is both in that book. He's both rich and poor, and he wasn't outside of necessarily the will of God in either of those, those instances. Like God was allowing all of that to occur because of some greater greater plan. So, um, you may be a rich Christian, you may be a poor Christian, you may be middle-class, but that doesn't, it's not contingent upon, you know, you, you being a, a, a faithful Christian, because right. obviously you brought up Paul and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, but you know, who's more faithful than Paul, right? Whose life is more materially miserable than right. Paul. Hard to imagine. Yeah. And, and the biggest problem here is the the knee-jerk condescension towards the idea that God would ever ordain that somebody be poor for any reason. And mm -hmm. we'll see more of that in, in future clips, like you said. Um, let's jump into a more famous preacher. This is a guy named Creflo Dollar. Now, I don't know if Creflo Dollar, if that's his birth name. It seems too good to be true. Kevin, can you throw the picture in picture on that guy or no? Um, if not, no worries. But um, yeah, there I am. 
it's very important to me that my face be seen at all times. Um, this is Creflo Dollar. He is, would, uh, wouldn't you say Creflo Dollar is maybe top five most yeah, famous? Yeah, this guy's huge, huge, huge. Incredibly very, very famous. Um, and this is just a clip from one of his sermons. But again, I, it, and really quick, before you play that, like with the previous guy, what our critique of the, we're not mischaracterizing them. They would right. say, no, you're actually understanding what we believe accurately. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. We're not trying to straw man them at all. Yeah. And that's part of why we're letting them talk. And in a perfect world, all of us would take the time to watch the full 45 minute sermon that this clip is from. But I promise you, we're not taking stuff out of context where these are their actual beliefs. So here's Creflo Dollar um, with a slightly different angle, but some good stuff for us to analyze. Is God's will for you to be successful and to live a successful life? He says, I come that you might have life, watch how, and have it more abundantly to have it to the full until it's overflowing. It's a common, common now, argument. Now, for you to hear that that's not God's will, sometimes even the unsaved world has more sense than some Christians. Poverty is not God's will. If you've ever been around deep poverty, it's sickening. What kind of God would want you to, to live your life in poverty? Now, that's a really interesting point, right? Yeah, and it's, it's emotionally moving. You're like, yeah, what? God wouldn't want, if he's my good heavenly father, why would, why would he want me to live a horrible life? Yeah, and, and like many falsehoods, there's some truth mixed in there. Yeah, right? for sure. I mean, uh, you and I have both been to the poorest places on the planet, literally. Yeah. I mean, I've been to, to City Soleil in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. It's the poorest couple of square miles in the Western Hemisphere. We've both been to multiple countries with some people of People literally don't even have clothes. Yeah, as poor as it gets. So we've seen what he's talking about. And there's something that resonates in your soul when you hear that because there's truth to it. God didn't design the world to be like yeah. that. God doesn't like that and doesn't want the world that way ultimately, mm -hmm. right? So where's the problem? Yeah, well, f first off, one of the things is always defining terms. He says, God wants you to be successful. Right. Um, okay, in what sense? Because success in worldly eyes can make you climb up the corporate ladder, work your butt off and get a lot of money and never have time for your kids because you are successful in right. your industry. So in what sense does Jesus as a first century Jewish man, when he says, I've come to give life and life more abundantly, what did that mean for yeah. them? What, what does, what was the hope of Israel? When you go through the Psalms, what are they longing for? Yeah. Can you just take a 21st century Western idea of abundance and map it onto and a first exactly. century Jewish preacher's um, sermon? And, and, life, abundant life, life more abundantly. What does that mean in context? One of the other things we'll probably talk about later, but it's like, because that, sa that same teacher, Jesus, also said, oh man, you want to know how hard it is for a rich man to get into right. heaven? So in that sense, it's like, well, maybe, I, maybe, maybe riches are a temptation that I can't handle. Right. Maybe this guy can and God could bless him. Yeah. Maybe and, not for and me. And he says that in the context of the very famous story where there's a rich young ruler who comes to him and he says, he doesn't say like, hey, God's blessed you because everything's going great. And you're, he says, one thing mm -hmm. it's going to take for you to follow me, sell all your possessions and give them to the poor. And we don't believe that that's a universal commandment to every person. But the point is for that guy, riches are explicitly a stumbling block. There's yeah. something that's in the way 
Um, and this idea of poverty, it's really important, I think, um, and this is something that's really important to me because I work in missions and charity, is that, man, God does not want the world in poverty. And he has promised to someday, in the ultimate future, rid mm. the world of poverty and misery and suffering. But the idea that, that poverty is not God's will, ultimately, does not lead necessarily to the conclusion that God wants to bless you materially in this life. Yes. That, and so those two things don't follow from one another. And what material blessing for that person there might mean, you know, if I could have house, food, and family, I'd be living the good life. Yeah. But typically what these teachers mean by success and wealth and business is not, you know, Jesus saying, look at the birds. God takes care of them. He can right. take care of you. It's like, no, look at the bird. Doesn't it look like a jet? You right. should have yeah. one. <laughs> hey, that's a great segue. A great look at that. Man, we got professionals around here. Now, um, somebody, yeah, the obsessive gardener asked, didn't he try to raise money for his own private jet or was that TD Jakes? You are right, the obsessive gardener. And the very next clip I have, I just want to show um, a, a second of it. Um, no, he's not the only one to do this. A lot of prosperity preachers have specifically fundraised to buy private jets. Um, Creflo Dollar is one of them. Kenneth Copeland is another one. Um, and, and, and plenty of others. Jesse Duplantis did the same thing. And so uh, this is a commercial. And it's just, it's an interesting example of how spirituality is tied to what I would consider serious um, material excess. You want to throw, throw this video up, Kev? All right, here we go. This is just a, a clip from a commercial that they made. Not a commercial. What would you say? A fundraising video that, that yeah. his church made and put out. Ministry plane is no longer usable. We need your help. And I ask all of our partners globally to get on board with Project G650. We are believing for 200,000 people to give contributions of 300 U.S. dollars or more to make this a reality. So if you do the math, they're asking for $60 million dollars. They want 200,000 people to give $300. Mm -hmm. um, and the plane costs $65 million. And if you notice where we started the video, it's not because he doesn't have a plane and needs one. It's because his old plane is no longer viable mm -hmm. as a ministry option. Um, and again, this is a very common thing. You, we, When I was pulling clips for this, I found clip after clip of different kind of uh, preachers from this tradition mm -hmm. talking about how important it is for them to have a private plane. I um, mean, in fact, the next clip, maybe we could save our commentary for the next clip because it's, it's on a similar um, vein. This is from Kenneth Copeland, very famous prosperity preacher. Um, and this is a, a, an interview that went extremely viral with Inside Edition. They kind of caught him leaving his private plane and asked him a lot of questions about why he needs it. And I, I, just to give a little context, his answer here is to the question, um, why do you need to have this fancy plane? Why can't you fly commercial? Because he had famously said that getting on a commercial airline flight was like getting on a tube full of demons. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, um, that's actually worth repeating because you, you got to catch that. He needs his own private jet not to, to avoid getting on normal airplanes because the normal airplane is like getting a tube of demons. Right, including all the regular Christians who can only afford to fly yeah. on the commercial plane. <laughs> Yeah, but you know he got he's got a point, man. Look, I get on some of them planes; it's, it's pretty rough. So, some of their justifications, not to go off the rails here, but I watched an interview with Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis talking about their. It wasn't an interview; they were just talking to each other on the Seven Hundred Club, and there and Jesse Duplantis is saying like, 
I was on my plane and I heard God tell me, do you like your plane? Are you satisfied with your plane? And he says, you know, and I stood up and I said, what would you have me do, Lord? And Kenneth Copeland goes, let me stop you right there. And he looks at the camera and goes, you couldn't have done that on a commercial plane. I saw this. And I they had this, this like big reaction like, you're right. You couldn't have. You couldn't you have couldn't lifted have, up your hands. You couldn't have stood up and lifted your hands. The stewardess would have made you sit down. It's like, that's why you need a $60 million plane <laughs> so that you can stand up and raise your hands when you're praying. Like, yeah. Um, so Kenneth Copeland in the clip I'm about to show you is in the middle of answering why he needs his plane. And it's about being able to get back and forth very quickly between speaking engagements. I had a week off and I was scheduled for Peru. And I prayed about it and I thought, I'm not missing that dedication in Jerusalem without the airplane that we have that I bought from Tyler Perry. And I didn't pay anywhere. And Tyler's one of the greatest guys. He made it, he made that airplane so cheap for me, I couldn't help but buy it. Well, my That's where we can pause that one. Couldn't help but buy it, man. Because it was so cheap. Got a good deal on that. And this is this is sort of speaks to something that Jacob just said in the chat. He talked about how this is offensive offensive to faithful and suffering Christians. We're going to see even more dramatic examples of that in a minute. But I mean, the the disconnect between the average human being and someone who could say, Tyler Perry sold me his private jet so cheap that I couldn't help myself. I just had to buy yeah. it. Um, there's just a, a wild disconnect between you know what he considers cheap, and and by the way. For him, the important that story he's telling was too long to show the whole clip. But as he he had one thing that he needed to be at in one country and something that he was invited to do the next day in a different country that was too far away, and rather than do the kind of rigmarole of regular international travel, yeah. he needs to have a private jet to do that kind of thing. And that's mm -hmm. what a lot of that. It's just one example. You hear a lot of that about the kind of different. Yeah, fancy that's things. the majority of the justification is usually they pull they pull out their schedule and look. I'm ministering to these people here. I'm ministering to these people here. I'm ministering to these people here, and if I just keep flying normally. I'm going to miss out on half the amount of people that I could reach if I could just go to those places. Yeah. You know, exactly. And, you know, it's tricky because there's, there is a sense even in our own everyday lives where it's like, if I had a little bit better of a computer, I could get more done. If I had a, a little bit better of a car and I wasn't worried about it breaking down. Right. And so there's a sense in which we all have to discern when is, enough enough and what is too much but what happens and this people do this with people do this with everything today like seriously they go well you know i don't know exactly where the line is and i'm guilty of this and this so who am i, who to, am ju I to judge that yeah right. and it's like no we may as human beings not know exactly where the line is but before god there's a line and we want to do our best to discern that in yeah. every way how much do you watch too much tv I don't know exactly where that right. line is. But Everybody is watches line. too much TV. Oh, what are you going to do? Not watch TV at and all that, then? And that's a great, it's a great thing to bring up in general because man, that becomes a justification for just doing whatever you want. Exactly. Rather than saying like, well, I don't know where the line is of when it becomes sin. So I'm just not going to worry about it. it. makes no sense. It's like, okay, I don't know. I know that a $60 million plane is over the line. Yes. And I know that, you know, flying coach to go on a missions trip is not over the line. Yes. In most cases. Um, there's a whole lot of wiggle room 
And the right Christian response is not, well, I don't know where the line is, so who cares? The right Christian response is, I need to do everything I can to move in the right direction of whatever, yeah. wherever the line is. Yeah. Whether I'm slightly over it or slightly under it, either way, yeah. you're trying to, not just to not sin, you're trying to yeah. please God and live You may not even be cutting back enough, but like you said, at least be moving in the right direction. So it's like, you watch, who knows, I don't know, 15 hours of TV a week. Man, I'm going to cut back to 12. You should be watching less than 12. Right. But you I know should. what? That's a good step. That's a good step. Three yeah. hours in the right direction. Um, and it puts stuff in perspective. Yeah, these aren't like just simple planes. These are luxury jets that there's only a, f there's a small amount of them yeah. that are even available. That's why they the all world. buy them from each other. That's why he bought his from Tyler Perry. They're, it's, you know, they kind of exchange hands. Where'd you get yours, Kevin? Yeah, Kevin, where'd your plane come from? I would buy a boat, not a plane. I, I'd like, yeah. <laughs> and you could take me fishing. You know, we might need that for ministry, actually. Fishers of men. Tom Gotta Drake had the garlic fish at Mr. Hong's tonight. Dude. Man, I'm so proud of you. Not just Tom, but you, Marcel, all you people. I told you, man, South Valley is holding it down, man. For the Hollister folk who are listening, when you come into Gilroy from the Hollister campus. Mr. Hong's. Look up Mr. Hong's and get the garlic fish. Do it. Okay, I want to watch another clip from that same Kenneth Copeland interview. Um, and this one is... That's a weird pause. I know. <laughs> it is. It, Kenneth Copeland is a... He's been in the game a long time, and he makes some really interesting faces. Let's, let's put it that way. Now, um, this next clip is from the same interview on Inside Edition. And this is a... a it's kind of going to let us make a little bit of a turn to hear some of the... A different biblical justification for why um, prosperity preaching is true. All right, here we go. To those critics that say that a preacher should not... Uh-oh. Oh, no. Are we going to have to watch an ad? Kevin, move it away. Go to a different screen. All birds. All Their birds. shoes. Their shoes. I'm wearing them right... No, I'm not, but not I do have... <laughs> What's weird about that ad is that me and Isaac <laughs> both own a pair of that kind of shoe. Yeah, all birds are made from... Um, merino wool. Merino wool. And I have a pair that's made um, just straight from trees. You have some of the tree runners. The tree, the tree dashers. They're just made from recycled trees. So they're wool runners, but tree dashers. Yeah, tree dashers. You know what's I funny? Think. I'm like, Kevin, get off that commercial. And then we just did a commercial for them, right? You, <laughs> you know what? If you, you totally want to sponsor did. Theology Thursday, yeah. well, All you know, if I could get some new tree dashers, recycled tree, dashers. tree shoes, and some garlic fish. And some Red Bulls were good. Theology to go. Thursday brought to you by Allbirds and Mr. Hong's Chinese fast food tonight. <laughs> um, that's awesome. And Red Bull, by the way, Red Bull Blueberry on my on the anybody look if you'll sponsor us. No, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Okay, let's try that clip again, Kev. So the final question is this: To those critics that say that a preacher should not be living a life of luxury, what is your response to that? They're wrong. <laughs> that's it that, take that just to pause you got they're gotta, wrong man you gotta kind of like that I mean, <laughs> to to those who say you should they're wrong man I, they're wrong i 100 percent don't agree with the point he's making but there's something about they're wrong no there's an <laughs> there's a level of like audaciousness yeah that's just you kind of got to take your hat off to that it reminds me of something genuinely it reminds me of something you would do as a joke like someone would ask you a complicated yeah. question, you'd be like, "Cause I said so." Yeah, but kind of like, pause for a long just time. like them, I kind of mean it at the same time. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I wasn't planning to stop it there. Just I've watched this clip like ten times, and it cracked me up that time for some reason. All right, let's go back to the. Let's finish what he's saying because he's going to explain why they're wrong. 
That's it? That it's a misunderstanding of the Bible that if you, if you go into the old covenant, do you think the Jewish people believe you should be broke? Are you saying that Jewish people appreciate money more than... Really? No, they believe in wealth. Some people would find that offensive. No, no, wait a minute now. I'm not talking about some people. I'm talking about the Bible. The blessing of Abraham. Abraham was extremely wealthy, and he had a covenant with God. Now, he's going to go on and on with the same basic idea. And I do think he was, to be, to be fair, I do think he was kind of misunderstood in what he was saying there, because he's talking about yes. Old Testament, Old Covenant, Jewish people stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but his point there is one that you hear over and over and over again. When prosperity gospel preachers are asked for a justification for the prosperity gospel, they don't go to the New Covenant. They don't go... You'll hear things like what Creflo Dollar said about, um, you know, having life and having it abundantly. Yeah. But for the most part, the thing you hear over and over again is... The examples of wealthy individuals are, are Old all Testament All from the Old figures. Testament. You're not, you're going to find very... Now, there are some, to be clear, because we're, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. God puts people in... Lydia is wealthy, uses her wealth for the gospel. Joseph of Arimathea is wealthy. Um, but they go to Abraham and they say specifically Abraham, Job, these characters. And the Abrahamic blessing is something that gets invoked all the time because God promised Abraham, I'm going to bless you Mm -hmm. so that you can be a blessing. And so the question I think Christians need to answer and that I'd love to get your thoughts on is what does it mean for Abraham to get promised by God that him and his offsprings would be blessed? Yeah. What does that mean? Are we talking about material prosperity? Yeah, and it, it certainly doesn't negate that but essentially, it, it, there's there's an immediate context and a broader context. The immediate context is clear because, Abraham, I'm going to bless you with some things. You're going to be a great nation. Um, you're going to have a great name. You're going to have land, and you're going to have a people. Now, first off, you have to understand that that isn't necessarily, those aren't individual promises. Right. We are modern Westerners, so we every, view everything through a hyper-individualistic lens. But the promise to Abraham is a promise for the people of Israel collectively and corporately as a whole, that they're going to have a nation. They're going to have a great name. Abraham's descendants will outnumber the star. But the promise then is that Abraham is going to be blessed so that he in turn can be a blessing to all the families of the earth. If we were to translate that again for in an individualistic culture, you would say all the people of the earth, all the families mean all the everybody. And the, and the promise specifically is your, I'm going to bless your family so that, in your family, all the families of earth yes. will be blessed. And then kind of the step back blessing would be in Genesis, the, the word blessing functions as the antithesis, the opposite of the curse that occurred in Genesis 3. So humanity rebels against God and there's a cursed, a curse. And it, it gets worse and worse and things are going into chaos. And then all of a sudden God chooses one man through whom there will be a reversing of the curse type of people. And they're going to be the, the means and mechanism by which the blessings flow. Now, what you later understand when you read the rest of scripture, that that family will ultimately be the means and mechanism by which the curse is reversed by the blessing of true Israel, right? the true son, the true 
heir to the throne. The true faithful Jesus, Israelite. The true faithful Israelite. And it's in and through Jesus that all the nations and all the families are blessed, not with material blessing, but with salvation and adoption into the family of God. Yeah, and there's a huge variety of interpretations as far as what the land means and all of these things. And, and I definitely lean in the direction of the point of all of this twist though it may be is that the blessing of Abraham is salvation by grace through faith in Jesus. That's, Mm -hmm. that's the way that Abraham's family is blessing all the nations. And so it's, it's incredibly hermeneutically short sighted to say, God promised to bless Abraham. That's what God does to people he loves. And you know what? Paul said, I'm an offspring of Abraham heirs of his blessing. So that means just like Abraham was rich, I'm going to be rich. That sounds like a logical argument but it's missing the entire sweep of a, like a solid foundational hermeneutic of what the story of scripture is. Because the point is, no man, the guy who fulfills that promise, Jesus Christ, doesn't even have a place to lay his head. No. Is not rich materially, suffers and dies. Mm-hmm. That's what it looks like to fulfill the Abrahamic covenant at the highest level. And so this kind of appeal to Abraham is an example of the fact that God wants to make us rich is a just a train wreck hermeneutically, in my opinion. Yeah. So that's one to just kind of be on guard for, because it's, again, it's not necessarily Abraham, but you're going to hear that. God's people were kings, and they're, you know, Abraham was the richest man in all the, I saw that over and over again when I was pulling clips this week. Um, I think I'm going to skip that next clip, because I want to save time to do some other stuff, um, and it's it's too similar. Um, I'll summarize it for you and say that it's it's a preacher who says that... uh, Part of why God, part of how God is going to win back the Jewish people at the end of time is by making them jealous of Christians' material prosperity. She says Christians are going to get so rich that the Jewish nation will become jealous of them, and that's what will draw them to Jesus. Mm. Which, again, without getting too deep into the weeds, is a dramatic misreading of uh, Romans chapter eleven. Yeah. Um, but here's here's a kind of going in a different direction that I think is more helpful and more kind of immediately applicable. This is a very, very old clip from well, one of, oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. One of the things that are important to point out, if you're picking up on this, first off, racism sneaks in, in these instances. Absolutely. And then two, a classism sets in because you're, you're going to say, I mean, first off that God would cause a whole ethnic group to become jealous just because of wealth. It's like, what What nonsense is that? Um, that one is a little bit more easy to detect. It's like, yeah, clearly this, this is racist. Whack. This is racist. Um, but the idea that, you know, God wants you to be, to be rich. There are millions upon millions of Christians in poverty. Yes. So there is this very, um, it's, 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 for some, it would be subtle. For me, it's explicit. It's like painfully obvious, but you can miss it. It's you're just writing off all of these people's faith. Yeah, they can't do the thing God wants them to do because they don't have the stuff to do it with. And frankly, if they had enough faith, God yes, would give them the stuff ex- that they exactly. want. Exactly. And so um, it's it's very sinister. It's more than just bad theology. It has real-world implications in which you look down upon other image bearers. And at worst, you look down upon some of the most faithful Christians alive today. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you talking about it being having real world implications. We didn't talk about this, but like Creflo Dollar's fundraising video, that Kenneth Copeland interview, these things are all over CNN. Yeah. Every news source you can imagine is pointing out this stuff going like, can you believe these Christians 
you know, people are starving in Africa and they want to raise money for a new jet because their other jet isn't, ni- yeah. isn't nice enough. And as uh, uh, someone said earlier, like this is this Theology Thursday is calling them to be emotional. And it should, because here's the thing. The most faithful Christian right now has just received another beating and is rotting away in a North Korean prison cell or in a, in, in a labor camp in, in some other country. So it's, it's the, it's, it's not only not true, it's like the opposite of what is true. Who is more faithful? Me as a pastor, you as a pastor, Kevin, who have pretty decent lives, yeah. or the Christian who's literally lost everything and is tortured and in prison right now for the gospel. Yeah. So you tell me who's more faithful. Yeah, and who looks more like the heroes of our faith? I mean, who looks more like, first of all, Jesus, Jesus but also Paul, Peter, go, Paul, yeah. all of them. It, this is, you know, they're in chains. They die before their time executed, yeah. covered in scars from all the times they got beat up mm-hmm. for proclaiming Christ. Um, and so it is, it's, it's insidious and the world is watching. Um, okay. Time is actually slipping. So I'm going to jump past a couple of them. Um, I really want to watch this one and one other. Um, this clip is from a, a prosperity preacher named Leroy Thompson. He has a long history. Um, I was originally going to show another video from when he was younger. This one can be, it's, we're jumping right into the middle of a sermon. So it might be, I'll probably have to explain a little bit of what he's saying. It's hard to tell without context. Um, but here's a, something where the theology, like the theological substructure behind what they're saying really shows, but it would be super easy to miss if you were just watching this whole sermon. Oh, another ad. Quick. Oh, nope. Just kidding. Believe your bills are paid. Oh, wait, I went too far. Hold on. It, it, moved, it moved for me. There and go. I'll never be intimidated by another bill. Okay, so that's after what he's about to say. So he's telling them, you know, believe that your debts are forgiven. Your debts are all going away. You're never going to have to worry about a bill. But this is what he said that led to that. Jesus wrapped it up in two voices. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. I do like the way he says verse, though. Voice one. Spread of the Lord upon me. Do what? He anointed me to do what? Voice one. The gospel is good news. Good news is you don't have to be poor no more. Now that's the moment that you could just not even, it's five seconds in a 45 minute, hour and 10 minute sermon. And what he says, just because again, without context, it's kind of hard to understand what he's getting at. He talks about prophecies in Isaiah and he says, Jesus comes and fulfills all of them. What does he say in Luke 4? The first thing he says is, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to what? To proclaim good news to the poor. And he says, the gospel is good news. And the good news is, you don't have to be poor anymore. Yeah. Now, what is, go- <laughs> what is Su- going super on? Super subtle. Now, you got you to gotta catch that. The Jesus is preaching good news to, keyword to, the, the poor. And he switches it very subtly to the good news is you don't have to be poor. Which is not what that text says at all. No. Not even a little bit. And in fact, if you, re- like, what's the gospel? It's the good news. He just said that the content of the gospel is the poor don't have to be poor anymore. Yeah, the gospel is you don't have to be poor. And he will stop at that point. 
talking about Luke 4. That's the only time. And he'll go on for 20 minutes about the spirit of debt forgiveness. And it gets very spiritual. And it's the spirit of debt forgiveness is in this place. And you know, declare victory over your debts. But he just said, he makes that statement that the gospel is that you don't have to be poor and he will just riff on the fact that you don't, yeah. you know, God's which gonna... is really interesting because um, it may not be that good of news if you don't have to be poor anymore because um, America experiences the greatest standard of living. We're right. wealthy, we're rich, and we're miserable. We're miserable. So if the good news is just not being poor, it ain't good enough good news because we're wealthy and Americans are miserable. Um, and it's increasing by the day, even before, even this is before COVID, the research was very clear. And so, um, there has, if it's the best, the gospel is the best type of news. So it's the gospel is such good news. It's better. It has to be something better than just, right. Oh, your bills are getting paid. Yeah. And that, cause that's only good news for some people. Right? Yeah. And yeah, then, then if you're a rich pagan, what's salvation? You know, yeah. what, why do I need to bow before you? I'm already rich. I already got yeah, the And again, it's, it's just to be clear that we're, so we avoid false dichotomies. The point is not at all that the gospel doesn't have any good news for the poor and miserable and destitute. Jesus came to preach good news to the poor, but that good news is not God is going to make you rich in this life. Mm -hmm. It's that you will not be defined by this poverty. You've been saved from something greater than that and destined for a future where that won't afflict you anymore. Mm -hmm. So there is a, a good news for the materially poor element to that, absolutely. And I mean, of course we care about that. Our church spends, and, and many, most churches spend tons of money to alleviate poverty all around yeah. the world because that's what God does want yeah. that to happen. Um, so, okay, last one, and this one is going to be um, potentially the spiciest because this might be a person that some of you have, have read or watched. Um, and he uh -oh. is what I would call... Come um, on, man. My coworker Kevin Kurzenabe. No, I'm just kidding. The, uh, <laughs> he, he's an example of what I would call, um, like we defined earlier, the kind of soft prosperity gospel, where you're not going to find this guy's not going to fundraise for a private jet, um, and and the kind of prosperity content is going to be sneakier. And so let's watch him talk to Oprah. Some of the criticism is that you're pre preaching prosperity. I was reading some of the critics, and I was thinking, well, why would you? Why would anybody criticize you for preaching prosperity? Because what kind of God wants you to be poor and miserable? That's the way I feel as well. I mean, I don't know who would say, you know, that you're not supposed to, you know, leave your children better than you were before. And plus, Oprah, prospering is not just you know, material things. It's, it's peace in your mind and health in your body and things like that. And so there's a, you know, a belief that you're supposed to suffer more. We're going to get an ad. Now, while this ad we plays, you all birds, all birds again, you notice, and I wanted to actually stop and comment anyway. He kind of dodges the question of, are you a prosperity preacher? And says, well, God doesn't just want you to be rich materially. He wants you to be happy and feel better. And it's, it's, Again, it's that same message that God wants material blessing for you, but he manages to kind of move out of the way of it being about money, Pure money. exclusively. Pure money. So let's jump, let's jump back in. And be poor and to show your humility. I just, I don't see the Bible that way. I see that God came to, you know, Jesus died that we might live an abundant life and to be a blessing to others. I can't be a big blessing to people if I'm poor and broke and depressed and I don't feel good okay, about stop. myself. That's one of the most dangerous things he says in the so whole thing. So back to the classism thing. 
I can't be a blessing to people if I'm poor. And he says poor, miserable, and depressed. So there's a linkage most likely of being poor and miserable and depressed. Right. But two, um, what about for a bunch of people who are poor and miserable? They can't be a blessing because blessing, again, has we're, to be... We're back to the Abrahamic You're, you're back to defining it materially. Right. Um, and... You know, the older you get in life, you just realize that all your all your greatest blessings aren't material. Right. They really aren't. Yeah, and, and the idea that again, this is back to Jacob's point earlier that that it's offensive to the poor and suffering faithful Christian, that the millions of Christians in the developing world who are faithful who have nothing material with which to bless someone. They don't have money to help someone with. Mm-hmm. He just said you cannot bless anyone mm-hmm. if you're in that state. And this is actually a real, I mean, I could soapbox, I'm going to try not to, but this is a real problem because these prosperity preachers do not just preach in the Western world. They take their private jet to East Africa yeah. and say this stuff to them, that if you had faith, you would be wealthy mm-hmm. and you can't bless people unless you are receiving the blessings deserved because of your faith, et cetera, et cetera. And so that thing that just, again, you could watch that interview and miss it, but he says... The only way to bless others is to be wealthy and happy. And man, I don't know about you, but that cuts out a Just gigantic out a percentage of, of, of people. Of people. Um, and yeah, Suzanne says it's dangerous. I couldn't agree more. Um, Tom, I do want to answer your question, but let's go ahead and finish um, this. Yeah, and then and Michael Perez says, Jesus was not rich, but was the greatest blessing. 100% agree. All right, let's, let's uh, get a little bit more of this. If you're poor, broke, and depressed, is that because you're not praying enough or you're not, uh, or something you said today, it was really great about getting with God. And it's what I I often say this same of trying to be aligned with what God wants for you. Do you think that if you're poor and broke and depressed, it's because you're not praying enough or not in alignment? No, I think it's, um, I think it's a mixture of things. I don't think it's just not praying enough because there's some great people that are just, you know, haven't broken through in that area. And I think that, you know, there are forces trying to hold us all down. And a lot of people haven't been trained and they haven't been inspired that, hey, you know what, you're in the projects, but you don't have to stay there. God's got a plan for your life and you believe and you mm-hmm. pray and you do everything you can. So I think a lot- Now we can stop there. It's gonna go on in that vein for a while longer. But you, if you notice what he did, he starts by kind of denying the claim that, so are you saying that, if you don't have, if you're poor, it's because you're not connected enough with God. You're not praying enough. And he goes, no, 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 no. Mm-hmm. And so he, it kind of puts you at ease. Okay. But if you listen to what he goes on to say, it's exactly yeah, that. Yeah, because he says they haven't had their breakthrough yet. Yeah. And there's some people who are poor and broke, but they haven't had their breakthrough yet. Yep. Um, and kind of just what some of the comments are saying and what we've already mentioned, it's, well, Paul never had his breakthrough. Peter never had his breakthrough. Bartholomew never had his breakthrough. Tom wants to know how did, yeah, Tom says poor, miserable, and depressed like Mother Teresa. He also asked how did the apostles die? Now, we we have a few of the apostles' deaths actually recorded in the Gospels, but a lot of them come from church tradition. But correct me if I'm wrong, between the Bible and church tradition, um, the data is that all of them, except for the apostle John, are executed. Yeah, he lived the good life. John lived the good life. He didn't get... 
crucified upside down. He just got beaten up, torched, thrown in prison, and eventually uh, exiled on Patmos. Yeah. So he died in exile by himself on a little island. Yeah. Everybody else was executed. And you have, again, church tradition that Paul was beheaded, um, that Peter was crucified upside down. Yeah. Um, which and there's I, debates about exi- like some of the, the the deaths are a little bit more obscure, so there's d- different traditions. But for the most part, it's safe to say that the majority, if not all, sa- except for John, like you said, died um, pretty bad death. And it's like for Paul, as you mentioned, yeah, he got his head chopped off. But prior to that, and we know this, this is, I mean, this even if you're not a Christian, you you most historians would say Paul, man, was. He got beat up multiple times, flogged multiple times, beaten with rods multiple times, starved multiple times, shipwrecked. I mean, the dude, yeah, yeah. man, he's just one step away from a breakthrough, yeah. man. And and, and one step away from the breakthrough. And it's so sneaky. And again, I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to say he's trying to be sneaky, but he's developed a way of talking about his beliefs that he goes, no, 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 I'm not one of those guys who says it's because you don't pray enough. It's because you haven't had your breakthrough. But look, you don't have to live like this. Look at people like Oprah and Tyler Perry. He's gonna, he'll, he says that a little bit yeah. later in the video. You, you know, they can do it. You can too. And so it, it really is a... Look, there are people who are born with certain physical disabilities. And if you were in some cultures and in some places around the world, that meant from day one, your parents knew you're going to be a beggar. Yes. Um, from day one. Um, and you, you, you're trapped in that. It's not like you just haven't had your, your breakthrough, right? The culture, the society worked that way. So you didn't have a chance at a breakthrough and to tell someone, you know, and I'm sure if, if Joel was here today, he, he would say, no, I, I, I don't mean that. So two important things. One is that oftentimes you say stuff that you don't actually mean because you haven't thought through it theologically, but you have these certain theological beliefs and then you say stuff that's built upon those. And if pressed, you would go, oh, I, I, I don't mean that. Yeah. But just like in this video, that that's why theology is so important. It just, it sprouts up. The other thing you have to realize with prosperity teachers is there are some who are absolutely sinister, evil people. They don't believe in Jesus. Yeah. They Real don't believe in the gospel. They're manipulators. They're hustlers. They are just trying to make money off of vulnerable, gullible Christians. Then there are people who honestly just believe that theology, who believe that, no, God's a good heavenly father and he wants to bless me material, materially. And so you, you have to have discerning eyes to know, what am I dealing with here? Right. Am I dealing with someone who is a dis- full-on yeah, deceiver and they know clothing. it? Um, because back to Jude, Jude, that's what Jude's conclusion was. He goes, there's three types of, of people that are that are getting tricked by false teachers. There's some who they just need a little bit of correction. There's some you need to talk to today and snatch them from the fire. Right. And then there's some that are so deadly, their undergarments are soiled. And so don't even get near them. They're like a right. rattlesnake. You're going to get bit. Yeah. And so um, someone like a so, so someone in these in these videos might be in the full on third tier category. Some might just be, hey, yeah. they just need a little bit more theological um, training. And, and yeah, and without knowing him at all, I get the sense that Joel Osteen is in that camp of he's a he's a dude who's teaching what he believes to be true. I could be completely wrong. Yeah, about who that. knows? That's, that's the sense I get. Um, I've definitely, especially in the developing world, man, I've seen. I've seen preachers in churches that there is no question that these people are not Christians and this is their hustle. This is how they make their money. Um, and maybe we could, 
second to last thing is, is we could talk about, this is, would be probably the most helpful thing we could do. Um, some of the ways that you can recognize the prosperity gospel when it's not obvious, because sometimes it's like, man, you know, this guy just said the gospel is that you don't have to be poor anymore. That is just naked prosperity gospel run the other way. But a lot of the time it's, it's sneaky and it's easy to miss because they're not going to say that explicitly. And especially during yeah. COVID, you might be watching preachers on the internet who you wouldn't normally watch if you're in church or you've started following. Um, Cause again, the internet preacher is kind of the modern day televangelist yeah. for all intents and purposes. And so uh, there are, there are four things and these are all taken um, from John Piper, who, by the way, just as a plug has in some of the best teaching on the prosperity gospel of anybody I've ever heard of. Yeah. He gets more angry than we do. He does. It's, he starts yelling. What's the word he uses? He has a great word. He says, I abominate, abominate the prosperity gospel. He doesn't just hate it. It's he an abomination. He turned it. abomination into a verb and said, that's what I that's think about it. That's next level. That is. That's pretty, next level. That's pretty awesome. So here's four of the things he says to look for. He says the first one is in the church, if there is an absence of teaching on suffering, particularly the teaching that suffering is a normal and expected part of the Christian life. Yeah. So if you don't hear in this church that suffering is a part of life that you should expect, beware. Yeah. And we're going to end in a minute by reading a slew of verses that's yeah. that teach that um on, on that on yeah. that note the line that the gospel is that you don't have to be poor right there are some people who that is only it's not that that's not true it's it's the exact opposite where they might have riches and God has actually called them for the sake of the gospel to leave behind riches and go give their lives to the poorest of poor in some place around the world. Yeah. And so it, it's like the opposite. It couldn't be further from the truth. And that may not be for everybody, but there are certainly people who are called like the rich young ruler. No, if you're going to, if you're going to get a hold of this gospel, you have to leave it all yeah. behind. It makes me think of Paul when, um, remember God tells a man named Ananias, when Paul is struck blind, he goes, yeah. go to Paul. And at the time, or Saul at the time, he's this dangerous yeah. Christian hunter. And Ananias says like, I don't want to do that. And God says, you know, go get him. And one of the lines I'm paraphrasing, but he says, I must show him how much he's going to suffer Dude, for my so, name's sake. It's heavy. I mean, that's as he, he goes, you that's tell scary. Him. The message is how much he's going to suffer for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, and again, if you have a, a fully robust theology, then you go, well, what is a greater honor than the calling to do what Jesus did? Yeah. To suffer for the sake of the gospel. Um, but man, on a human level, you go, there's no room for that in, in the prosperity gospel. No. That God would call you, not just that suffering is incidental because of a broken world. Yeah. God called Paul to suffer. And so that first preacher we looked at who goes like, God might ordain for me to be miserable. It's like, yeah. that's in the Bible, man. Yeah, he did it to um, Paul. So apostle to the Gentiles, 99% of the world. Yeah. Wrote, wrote two thirds, of the, two -thirds of the New Testament. So teaching on suffering you want. And again, it, it doesn't mean the pastor has to belabor that. But one thing I'm proud of the teaching at South Valley is you will hear it here all the time mm -hmm. that you may be called to suffer. I'm always complaining about how yeah. miserable life is, man. <laughs> I don't think that's what John Piper means, but okay. Um, the, the second one is similar, but, but a little different. And that's the absence of a clear and prominent doctrine of self-denial. And this is the deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Yeah. Which by the way, Jesus talk about scary verse. He says, if anybody would be worthy of me, mm -hmm. they got to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So like the teaching of suffering, he says, if you're not being taught to deny yourself, yeah. um, 
And again, that could be everything from just simple moral righteousness teaching all the way to, you know, give till it hurts for the sake of the gospel yeah. type stuff. If you're not hearing that, look out. Um, the third one, and this one's interesting because it's not necessarily intuitive, but it's, I think it's, he's hit the nail right on the head. It's the absence of serious, deep exposition of the scriptures in teaching. Now, why would that be something that means prosperity? Okay, doctrine? so first, the word exposition means um, the pastor, the teacher is going to go through the actual text of the Bible. Um, and so Piper believes strongly that faithful churches go through the Bible. And the reason why that's so important is I can give anyone could give tons of sermons. Like today we're going to do a sermon on um, how to conquer fear. I'm going to give you all these principles about how you can conquer fear in, in your life, which there's a time and a place for a pastor to encourage people not to fear. However, if the majority of your diet from your church isn't the actual text of the Bible, you're going to avoid the actual text of the Bible. And in doing so, you won't become aware of the fact that the prosperity gospel is impossible right. to believe in. Exactly. If you read the, if you go through the gospels at your church, you will realize the prosperity gospel is impossible to believe. The only way you can believe the prosperity gospel is if you don't, don't believe the read Bible. the Bible. Yeah, and that almost sounds I'm glad you worked your way up to it that way because it almost sounds condescending, but it's true. That the yeah. reason why exposition of the gospel of the Bible is a sign of of safety from the prosperity gospel is because the prosperity gospel is not in the Bible. Yeah, and and this is where um, where you have to understand there's different levels. You might not be a uh, a Creflo Dollar, Kenneth Copeland type of level ten prosperity preacher, but I'm telling you, there's tons of like online, very popular preaching that it's never expositional. It never opens the Bible. It's very it's very encouraging, yeah. but it has. No theology of self-denial, cross-care. Five ways God wants to give you victory today. Yeah, and it's there's no theology of suffering, no theology of self-denial, no sacrifice, and ultimately, it's it's a cross crossless Christianity. Yeah. yeah. So, um, just different levels, different motivations. You have to be discerning on that stuff. Yeah, that's that's great. Now, the last one, um, and this one again is where you need to know where to draw the line. But he says lavish lifestyles on the part of leadership. Um, and this is kind of the most immediately practical one. And it's, it's sort of, it's almost easier to discern. It's a great segue into the fact that I'm going to be announcing I, I'm starting a fundraiser. For a G6. For, I need a jet. I need a jet <laughs> and a boat. Uh, See, the the Lord wants me to reach them fish. So the, this is a this is a digression worth taking about boats. We were all joking around, me and Isaac and some other friends, about how everybody wishes they could have a yacht. Do you remember this? Yes. And I, I'm so not rich that the thing I said about the yacht, do you remember what I said? I do. Yeah, you're like, oh, dude, if I had a yacht, it'd be so much work to take care of it. I'd have to, to clean it. And every time you brought it back, I'm like, bro. Isaac and all my friends go like, if you have a yacht, you have people to take care You're of your You're rich enough yacht. to pay people to, to carry, you know, to take care of the, so even in Sam's uh, fantasies of being rich on a yacht. I still have to wipe it down. He still has to clean it. <laughs> Thanks, dad. Yeah, the, uh, all I'm trying to get is free garlic fish, man. Yeah, we'd be happy uh, with that level of prosperity, um, man. It's interesting. One of the things I didn't want to miss it that, that um, Ed and Dina Bless pointed out is that sometimes the poorest Christians are also the most generous Christians. And this is, um, this is right on the nose. It's actually straight out of the Bible. There's a part in 2 Corinthians that's really worth mentioning where Paul talks about 
he's as an inspirational example, he talks about the church in Macedonia mm -hmm. and he says they were poor, suffering from incredible poverty, but out of their poverty, they gave an overabundance yeah. generosity. So he's saying the poorest Christians heard about the suffering of the Jerusalem Christians mm -hmm. and from Macedonia, they're already poor and they gave what they could in generosity. Really incredible. Yeah. There's a, on that last principle, you and I have talked about, um, it's another example, John Piper, um, where John Piper is a guy who, who's written tons of books and I'm sure he could be living a, an extremely lavish oh, yeah. lifestyle, but essentially he has a principle that, um, a pastor shouldn't be way above or way below what the average person in their congregation looks like. Um, and it's just a principle. Like some people m might have wealth outside of it. They inherit it. Who, uh, it's just a principle, but it's, it's a good principle to say that um, you shouldn't stand out. Your riches shouldn't stand out from a right. normal person in your congregation. Yeah, and Piper's way of doing that, which is so admirable because he's written multiple bestsellers. I mean, he's, he's probably sold millions upon millions of dollars mm -hmm. of books. And he decided early on that he wouldn't make a dime off of his books. Yeah. So he took for his entire decades long career as a pastor, his pastoral salary from his church that he was at the whole time yeah. and not a dollar more. He just works for the church and what they pay him, everything else is given away. And it's, you know, it's funny because it's admirable. Yes, but it's also just this incredible safety net. Paul talks about how people who desire to be rich pierce themselves with many pangs and put mm -hmm. themselves in mortal danger. In first Timothy six, he says yeah. that. And, um, John Piper just gets that, I think, at, at the core level, and it's kept him safe. Um, we're almost over time here, but I wanted to end with just hitting you guys with a few verses in a row that I think bear just direct, concrete witness to the fact that, that suffering um, is an expected part of the Christian life, and that if you're being taught doctrine that says you should expect material blessing and you shouldn't ever think that you're going to suffer, um, verses like this just absolutely destroy that teaching. Um, so I'm just going to read a bunch of them without comment, and then we can close. Um, Paul, Philippians 3.8, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And by the way, a couple verses later, he's going to say, not just to know him, but that I may know him and share in his sufferings. Mm -hmm. That's the goal for Paul. Uh, also, Paul in Colossians says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. We could, we could talk about the theology of that all day, but the point yes. is he rejoices in suffering. Peter says, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Expect that. Um, also, Peter, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, the very thing that guy made fun of, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Acts 5.41, after some of the disciples have suffered at the hands of the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem, it says, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. James says, count it all joy is famous. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Um, Jesus in the Gospel of John says, if the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Listen to this. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And then last one, Paul in Romans. 
8 says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy of comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so we could do, we could do that all day. Yeah. But the point is so clear. It's, it's all a myriad of approaches to what Christians should expect that suffering is not only normal, sometimes it's ordained by God yeah. and the relief from it. You see in that last verse, it's not that I, he doesn't say, I consider this suffering to be a light and momentary affliction because God gonna bless me soon. Yeah. It's, it's a light and momentary affliction because there is a weight of glory waiting in the eschaton at the mm. end of time for me. So again, you know, that's like the, the just beating the Bible over our heads version of it, but it, it's just so transparently true that the Christian should expect hardship and suffering mm-hmm. and trial in this age. Anything else we want to say before we wrap this up? Um, that we'll expect to experience some trial and tribulation with some hot peppers yeah. at the homie Obsessive Gardener's house. Obsessive Gardener, we will send you an email and set up a time to go eat some peppers with you. Um, next week, we're going to talk about a, a related but different subject, which is um, the kind of physical health and healing gospel. Yeah. So that'll be next week. Um, any questions you guys have, by the way, on doctrines, false doctrines, questionable teachings that you've heard, please send them to Stuff us. Stuff that you've heard Sam or Kevin say in sermons that's kind of like you know is not very sound doctrine. We could do a whole episode. Yeah, we're not going to have time to cover all of that, but sure, go ahead. I, and got, send a, in I got a list, man. <laughs> hey, God bless. Thanks so much for being here, you guys. See you next week.